Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome to the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. I'm Dan Feldman. Very glad to be joined today by Monty Poole of NBC Sports Bay Area. Talk about uh, the Warriors and uh, one very prominent former Warrior. Uh, Monty, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well, Dan. So Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, uh, do this interview together, uh, make a ton of news, say a bunch of interesting things. Uh, I think the biggest takeaway that everybody took from it uh, was neither Draymond Green nor Kevin Durant uh, was pleased with how Bob Myers and Steve Kerr handled uh, their influ- infamous uh, blow up uh, during Durant's last season in Golden State, maybe for different reasons, uh, but they were both unhappy. For me, Kevin Durant not being happy with it, whatever, he's gone, uh, not his problem. I was a little surprised uh, to see how vocal Draymond Green was in uh, throwing Bob Myers and Steve Kerr under the bus. Now, he's talked about this before. He's talked about how he disagreed with those guys. Uh, But to continue to do it while still being on the team, I think Draymond will be fine. I think he can handle uh, existing amid some chaos, some disagreement, some tension. I don't think that bothers him. I think he's very comfortable disagreeing with people he's used to it. What I'm a little less certain of is, how will Bob Myers handle it? How will Steve Kerr handle it? How will the rest of the roster, kind of watching from somewhat of a distance, uh, handle it? And, and knowing that you know Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, they're in positions that are traditionally, there's some authority that goes with being in charge of the front office, that comes with being the head coach. Uh, and you have a player now just very publicly disagreeing with how they handled something very notable. What do you think? How do you think uh, this will go over uh, within the Warriors, uh, the way Draymond Green went about this? It's going to be very interesting because, uh, you know, for guys who've been around like Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, to these guys, those guys, it's like this is no big deal because Draymond and Steve get into it on a regular basis. Um, they go back and forth, you know, and I think they mentioned that on the on the podcast with Draymond and KD that, you know, there have been times when Steve and Draymond cuss each other out after practice. It's not atypical mm-hmm. at all for those two. And and I, you know, I would have a strong feeling that there will this will be addressed by Bob and Steve with Draymond. Um, the Warriors, I asked the Warriors if they had any comment and they declined, which, you know, under the circumstances, I totally understand that. Uh, but I certainly think there will be some internal discussion about this because you're right. It, you know, this is the kind of thing that can have an effect, especially on the young players. Um, you know, they read this, they see this, and they think, okay, you know, it may make them look a little differently at Steve and Bob. You, you don't know that. Uh, and, and the thing about Draymond is that um, he is a bit of a wild card. The Warriors know that. They understand that. They've embraced that. And even in times when, uh, you know, it gets a little turbulent, They've generally been saying, you know, let Draymond be Draymond. 
And I think this will probably be the same uh, as long as Draymond performs, uh, which I think he will. Um, you know, Draymond was not happy about it back then. That was three years ago now, almost. And, you know, it, it really didn't seem to affect how he performed. Uh, there, You can question how it affected Kevin because, you know, he performed fine, but he, you know, in some ways he didn't seem quite as much a part of the team that last season. So um, when you look at, <clears throat> when you or when you hear what these guys have to say about that, in, that situation, and you realize that, yeah, they came to the conclusion that as Draymond and Kevin both agreed that the Warriors effed it up. Um, and again, not a shock, but a little bit of a surprise that they went that deep in on it. Uh, but again, Draymond is, you know, he's, he's not going to really hold back much. And, and that's the thing the Warriors have lived with for years now. Uh, he and Steve had an infamous blow up in Oklahoma City back in 2016 in the locker room at halftime and got really ugly. So um, it's one of those things where they squabble, they argue, and it can sometimes get, you know, pretty rough. But um, in the end, those guys, you know, they don't really seem to wear it for a long time. And on Dray- and Draymond's, to Draymond's credit, um, or should I say, going back to his history, you know, he will talk about the times that he and and, and uh, Coach Izzo at Michigan State got mm-hmm. in. You know, and, and Tom Izzo is, I mean, he comes out to watch Draymond play. He's been out to the Bay Area a dozen times over the years just to catch up with Draymond for a day or two. So they're close, but they he, Draymond and Tom Izzo went at it just like he and Steve go at it. So on one hand, it's the Warriors saying, you know, we got to let Draymond be Draymond. On the other hand, we got to let Draymond know that this is the kind of thing that could affect a certain part of the locker room, specifically the younger players. Because again, Clay, Steph, Draymond, uh, and, and Andre, they're like, eh, same old, same old, you know. But the other guys are like, whoa. You know, they just kind of called out the coach and the president. And again, Bob and Draymond, their relationship has been, you know, same issue. I mean, they get back, go back and forth. But when Bob Myers was honored by his high school, uh, this is probably, you know, five, six years ago now. He got an honor at, at his high school in the Bay Area here. The one player from the Warriors that showed up and spoke was Draymond. And they have that kind of relationship where, again, uh, they don't always agree, but they all they both understand that the purpose for what they're the reason why they're here is to help the Warriors become a championship level team. So, yeah, this is I wouldn't say shocking, but the uh, the way it came out was certainly something that you know raised eyebrows, not just around the NBA, but within the Warriors. You know, you're absolutely right in in that this is Draymond being Draymond to a degree, but most of these back and forth with Steve Kerr, these back and forth with Bob Myers have happened behind closed doors. Even, even the uh, the moment in Oklahoma City, I was behind closed doors. I mean, Draymond was being so loud, people heard. But he was <laughs> yeah. at least behind closed doors. Uh, do you think this changes the dynamic at all? That you know, The, the blow up with Kevin Durant uh, was public, and I, I think that said something, right? That Draymond was so mad that whatever you want to say with, to Kevin Durant, like he couldn't control it enough to wait until they got into the locker room. He was that upset. I think that was telling. Uh, this one was, was more deliberate. This wasn't heat of the moment. I, it didn't seem like. I mean, maybe it got that interview got off the rails. I don't think so, uh, especially with Draymond being the questioner. It really seemed like Draymond made a deliberate choice to make this public. And he's, again, he's talked about 
the issues he had with with how the Warriors handled it, uh, suspending him. He's talked about this publicly before, but not quite to this level. Do you think that changes the dynamic at all that he chose to make this public? It's not just another, a Draymond's being Draymond behind the scenes and we're used to it. This is Draymond choosing to make it public. Yeah, um, that, I think that's the big question right now, you know, and I, I do think that this sort of, is, you know, this is a different level uh, in terms of this can be considered insubordinate. And the question is how the Warriors handle this. But again, you know, I think what they will do and, and you know, what they did then is they sort of convened a meeting and I think they'll do the same thing this time. And, you know, it won't be just Draymond and Steve and Bob. I would I would I would think that they would also have maybe Stephan and Curry will be in there. Jeff, yeah, because again, Steph's the franchise here. And so, you know, I I would think he would be in the room too and they would hash this out uh, because this is not something that can be just, oh, well, that's just Draymond being Draymond and, you know, let them do their thing. Sure, they made a few waves, a few headlines with their podcast, but, um, you know, we're still the Warriors. No, this this has to be addressed. And again, I, I think they will because for that reason is that, the public nature of it, you know, it, this was something that um, Draymond is, he's a multimedia guy <laughs> and <laughs> you know, we've seen him on TNT, you know, and, and he, he, he does things with LeBron and, and, and so we've seen him on HBO. And, and so this is Draymond already not transitioning, but already kind of putting his toe in the water uh, for his future beyond basketball, because I don't think he wants to be a coach. I think he wants to be involved in basketball in some capacity, but I don't think he wants the daily grind that coaching, that being a coach requires. So uh, in this instance, they made some news, which, you know, that's not to be discounted. I think that was one of the goals there to, to make some news. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, if you're the Warriors, you really have to take this and go, whoa, Draymond. We got to talk about this because I'm not sure you understand how what was said can influence other people in the building. And um, that's something you need to understand, because if we're going to be a successful team this year, when half the roster is under 25, uh, we really need these guys to buy in. And if you're out there saying things like this, that, you know, we, you think we screwed up the situation, um, I, I, that could create some issues for us, some challenges for us. So. I'm going to guess that, I mean, I'm pretty sure, I would say 99% sure that there will be a meeting uh, with with, uh, with Draymond and Steve and Steph and Bob and maybe a couple more people in the room just to sort of make sure that this thing is put to bed as, as best possible. Uh, because at this stage, it's still kind of lingering. It's going to be there until they do address it. I don't know if Steph Curry wants to get dragged into that meeting. He will. He will. I mean, Steph understand because Steph is tight with Draymond, and and I think if the Warriors want Steph there, Steph, Steph will be there. Um, you know, I, he's not the kind of guy to say, "Hey, that's on that's on y'all." I think Steph understands the gravity of what what has happened and realizes the potential for harm, and that's why I think if the Warriors say, "Look, we all let's all get together," you know, maybe Clay wouldn't care. <laughs> you know. Oh, I, but, I think Steph cares. I guess to clarify, what I'm at, I don't know if Steph wants to get dragged into picking sides in a meeting. No, not picking sides, but I think his voice will be uh, yeah. is something that both both sides will want to hear because, again, Steph is a voice of reason. And mm-hmm. uh, I think if you're the Warriors, if I'm Steve, I'd want Steph in there. If I'm Draymond, you know, I, I'm, I'm cool with Steph being in there because, you know, he and Draymond have been war buddies for a while now. Um, so, 
again, I'm not going to say that he definitely would be in there, but if I'm Steve and Bob, I'd want him in there. And I, if Steph is requested to be a part of that group, I, I think Steph would accept that that situation and, and walk in and, and be in the room as a voice. Because again, he means so much to this franchise and its direction is largely dependent on him and, and, and Draymond. And so this is something that they need to iron out. And I don't think Steph would say, whoa, guys, that's on y'all. Go fix that. I, I don't think Steph would do that. No, I don't think he'd quite do that. I mean, that's the great value of Steph. Obviously, the first thing is he's an amazing once-in-a-lifetime player. The second thing is how great he is for the organization, the tone he sets, the 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 joy he brings, the the way he carries himself. Uh, yep. it, it is it is near perfect. Uh, it's exactly what they need. Uh, we do know that the last time the meeting, uh, it did not go well. Uh, Draymond's talked about that multiple times. Uh, how he he said he just laughed at Bob Myers and Steve Kerr. Uh, because the alternative was cussing him out. Uh, yeah. it, it was so I, I definitely get the idea of trying something different, having stuff there because it didn't go well. But I'm if I understand what Draymond and Durant said, uh, if I understand it correctly, uh, from that previous incident, Draymond wanted management to do less. Don't be involved, just let me take care of it. And it sounds yeah. like Durant wanted the organization to do more, to step in and say this is a big deal and like to handle this. And so they, they appease neither, but it, to me, it sounds like for opposite reasons, uh, do you think there was a way the Warriors uh, could have handled this better to appease both guys to a certain degree? I just think Draymond was upset. Durant was upset and they would have found reasons to be upset uh, no matter what the organization did. But do you think there was some way the organization could have had handled that prior incident better? Uh, well, listening to what Kevin said about, you know, going into the room Im- immediately, he thought that it should have been dealt with immediately within the locker room um, yeah. and handled that way. Now, you know, I'm not sure where Draymond came down to that because he didn't seem to disagree with that. But KD basically said, yeah, you know, I mean, Steve acted like it didn't it didn't happen. And then Bob thought, OK, I'll just discipline Draymond and I'll take care of it when Kevin seemed to be thinking that, you know what, this is something that we need to deal with and we need to deal with it right now and get it out in the air and move on. Uh, I mean, and he's been in situations like that before. You know, he and he and Russ Westbrook didn't always get along and didn't always uh, see eye to eye. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think Draymond definitely wanted didn't want to be suspended. He thought that was punitive. And the Warriors, again, keep in mind that the Warriors were – they, they understood what Kevin's situation was. It was his last year, and there was a lot of uncertainty about whether he'd want to come back, and they were concerned that he would not. And I believe, and I haven't heard Bob say this, I believe that their suspension of Draymond was partially, if not largely, to appease KD, to let him know that, hey, we love you, we're with you, you were right, he was wrong, you know, we'll take care of this. I, I believe that's a big part of this, because Again, when the Warriors had their groundbreaking at Chase Center, who was there as a player grabbing a shovel? They invited Kevin Durant. He came over. He grabbed the shovel. Um, And so that last year, they were doing little things here and there to let him know that they value him. They scheduled a preseason game in Seattle because that's where Kevin started his NBA career. He loved that trip. I mean, I want to say that last season – that Seattle trip was the happiest I saw him the entire season. He enjoyed those three days. Uh, so they were doing little things here and there. And I think, again, I haven't heard them say this, but I believe that the suspension of Draymond in the wake of that situation was largely like, you know, them saying, you know, we need to let Kevin know that we got his back here. 
<laughs> and I that's think so too. To do. Yeah, that's what he decided to do. Now, you know, yeah, I think Kevin thought maybe it should have been handled immediately post game and moved on from there. And I think the Warriors needed to gather and sort of come together and decide how they're going to handle it. And therefore needed more time than just to do it after the po- and immediately after the game because it was a loss in the overtime loss. And to make matters worse, you know, the whole squabble began because KD wanted the ball. Draymond did not give it to him. Draymond committed a turnover. The game goes into overtime. <laughs> lose. Right. So if Draymond gives the ball to Kevin and Kevin gets a shot, the game is over. Warriors win. So it just, I mean, there was a lot going on there. And I think the Warriors needed some time to sort of digest all of what happened before they addressed the situation. And Kevin seemed to think that they should have addressed it you know, pretty quickly after the game. KD wanted Draymond to apologize right after the game. And the problem is Draymond might not have been in the mood to apologize, right? The the, the argument could have just uh, escalated further for all those reasons you said, coming off the loss, everything's still heated. Uh, If they had tried to handle it right after the game, it might have been way worse. It might have been better, right? If Draymond eventually admitted he was wrong, and if he had come to that realization right after the game, that could have been quashed right there. Uh, But it also could have very much gone the other way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that in, in for Draymond, uh, yeah, it was certainly, you know, he has these moments where, you know, he loses his SHIT, you know, and, <laughs> and that was one of those moments because clearly the ball, the guy should have, who should have had the ball was Kevin. You know, I mean, he's hit a number of big shots for the words, regular season and postseason, and it's a tie game. And the second, and the clock is ticking and you have the ball, um, I'm not sure what Draymond was thinking. Maybe he figured he'd make a play for Kevin and get Kevin the ball, get him a better shot. But if Kevin is asking for the ball and I'm Draymond, I'm looking at Draymond, Kevin and going, here, take it, because this is what you do, you know, and, and let him go with that. But Draymond didn't do that. And again, that led to it. But you're right. I think Draymond um, may not have been in the mood to apologize immediately, which would sort of defeat you know, Kevin's idea of having to deal with the situation immediately. And and I don't know what would have happened had they done that, had Draymond apologized. I think it would have been fine. But I, like you said, I don't know that Draymond was in was of a mind to immediately broad, uh, broadcast his apology in a locker room full of teammates, which is, to me, would have been the best way to do it. I was wrong. My bad. You know, I'll take the heat. Especially, I mean, Draymond has explained his thinking on the play was, oh, yeah, of course I'm going to pass to Kevin Durant, but I'm going to dribble the ball up and get him in a better position. And so that's why he says he turned it over uh, because uh, Durant had run up the court, right? Durant could have apologized for for not handling that the right way after. Like, of course you're frustrated, uh, but if you run up the court, you'll probably still get the ball and you might hit the shot because you're still Kevin Durant. Like, it could have worked out okay. Uh, Draymond definitely deserves the most blame for this incident, but... KD has some culpability. We, we spent a lot of time already talking about this one night, and I, I do think yeah. it was important in, in the story of the Warriors and how things unfolded. Uh, but there was an interesting moment in the interview that I don't think got quite as much attention. Draymond point blank told Kevin Durant, hey, I think you made up your mind to leave before this season anyway. And you just came back because you wanted a 3 P and there was a special opportunity there. But you had basically mentally moved on from the Warriors. What do you think about that? And Kevin Durant didn't directly answer. He just said, oh, that's interesting. I know people think that, and I get why they think that. And he gave an interesting answer, but he didn't directly say yes or no. But what do you think? Do you think uh, Kevin Durant had his mind made up to leave the Warriors after that season, even before the season, which obviously would be before this blow-up between him and Durant? 
Uh, between him and Draymond? Yeah, I don't know that he had his mind completely made up before the season, but I do know that unlike the previous two seasons, that he came into that season um, thinking about leaving as that possibility. The previous two seasons, no, he was locked in. He was, he was, he bought in and he was going to be there. And that's what he was thinking. That was his future. But coming into that third season, yeah, I definitely think that he had a lot more on his mind in terms of uh, where he wanted to take his future. Um, there, there was never a moment when he seemed to be fully focused on the Warriors then and later. Um, and so unlike the, it was different. It was certainly different. And I, you know, yeah, but I, I can't say that he decided that before the season started. Um, I, I think that before the season started, and act like he said, I think he was sort of, you know, figuring out what he wanted to do and making up his mind as he went along. I think over the course of that season, it became apparent that he was going to leave. But I don't think that was necessarily there at the beginning. Uh, but again, if Draymond believed that it was there from the start, and and that's it's possible that some of the other guys also felt the same way that that Kevin's already checking out. Well, I mean, I think some of the people in Oklahoma City will say the same thing about Kevin's last year there, and they thought he was going to leave. They didn't know. They didn't. I don't think he knew for sure what he was going to do, but there are people in OKC that may have felt the same way. I think when a guy leaves open the possibility of leaving, especially a guy of his stature, um, who has meant so much to their previous two seasons, I think guys in the locker room are looking at him and going, okay, I don't know if he's with us now. I mean, yeah, he's with us now, but I don't know if he's with us going forward. I don't know if he's committed to being a part of this thing for the next two, three, four, five years. Um, sure. He's here now. Uh, we'll make the most of it, but they didn't, he never gave them a reason to believe he was thinking about anything beyond that season. And Kevin's explanation is that I was focused on that season, but during that time, uh, yeah, it makes total sense that he was also exploring options internally and talking to other people around the league. He and Kyrie, you know, pretty close. And I think during that all-star weekend of that season, uh, you know, Kevin and Kyrie were pretty, they spent a lot of time together. And that's when people really started thinking, ah, you know, these two guys who are probably going to you know, work out a situation to be teammates at some point, which ended up happening. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting to, to think of it that way. But I won't say that, yeah, oh, I think Kevin was gone before the season started because I think I, I think that, that he left a crack, op- a crack open in the door to stay. But that certainly – he was exploring other possibilities. There was no doubt attention because of the possibility of leaving. I think that was a huge re- reason Draymond blew up because he couldn't mm-hmm. handle the tension, right? It bothered him that it yes. wasn't clear whether Durant was all in or not. Uh, I mean, Draymond had this crazy idea that Durant should have said, uh, you know, before the season whether or not he's staying. As if if Durant said, okay, I guess I'm leaving at the end of the year, as if that would have pacified Draymond. Like, right. oh, I'd love to spend a year with a guy I know is leaving. It, there's just no way around it when you're coming into your contract year, when you're a player of that stature, is going to be speculation, no matter what you do. I thought Durant handled it pretty well. He played really hard that season. He played really well that season. Uh, the way he came back at the end uh, was something incredible, and, and then unfortunately getting hurt again. Uh, but he he did every almost everything. Uh, that a team would would ask of its superstar. Uh, the only thing that wasn't ideal it was his moodiness, and he talked about that in this interview too. How yeah. he, you know, uh, just enjoyed kind of shutting himself off. I think that was maybe his way of coping. Uh, but I think you just deal with it because you get a great player, and he's still there. 
one other thing Durant said in the interview, though, was he had no regrets about going to the Warriors. He only spent three years there. It was incredible three years. Uh, they made the finals three times. They won two championships. He won two finals MVPs. Uh, however, it went off the rails at the end, even with that. This was an amazing team. He was playing amazing individually. Players almost never leave that situation. This is what you want. This is what you aspire to have in your career, is to be a superstar and a great team. This is what everybody wants. And he got there, and then he left, which made me wonder whether he regretted coming there in the first place. He said he didn't. And so then my next question is, was this his plan all along? Did he join the Warriors not planning to finish his career there? Uh, Saying, okay, this will be good for my career for now, and then I'm going to move on to the next thing. Did you have any sense? Looking, I guess in hindsight, was there any were there any signs? Were there any sense that when he signed with the Warriors originally, that he was not looking to spend the rest of his career there, that he'd be happy with a shorter stint in Golden State? Um, one of the things I learned about Kevin during his time here is that he's a very curious individual. Uh, and he doesn't necessarily feel that he's rooted to any one place. You know, like he likes to say, you know, I grew up in the D.C. area, PG County, but I went to high, went to college in Texas, <laughs> you know, which why people thought, why is he going to go to Texas? He's Kevin Durant, you know, you know, arguably the top guy in coming into college, uh, coming out of high school. And he's going to go to Texas. Well, it was something different. Uh, then he gets drafted by Seattle and he loved it up there. It was something different. Goes to Oklahoma City because the franchise moves there. He adapted to the situation there, embraced the community, um, and comes to the Warriors because it was a basketball thing. It was a basketball decision. And I don't know that he made it, you know, like, oh, this is going to be where I finish my career. But I wasn't surprised. I wouldn't have been surprised that he was going to leave at some point because, again, I think Kevin is always searching for the next thing that makes him feel good at the moment. And, and that he likes, that that feeds him. Uh, and I think coming to the Warriors at that time, it nourished him. Uh, it, it fed his basketball desires. Uh, and I think when he left, he was looking for something different. Yeah, they can still be great in Brooklyn, but I think he wanted just a different feel, maybe a different location. Um, this, this guy lives to exist in different experiences. And like I said, he's curious. He likes to try different things. Uh, I won't say he's a wanderer. That's a little too much. But he definitely is one of those people that, you know, he can enjoy going to different places, experiencing different things. He enjoys that part, that sort of smorgasbord of life thing. He enjoys that. I mean, you can see it on the court, too. Sometimes I, I feel like more than trying to win, he's trying to, like, master the game and experiment with new things uh, in his skill set. You know, he, he came into the league playing a certain way. It's like one year's like, oh, I'm going to become a good rebounder now. I'm going to become a good positional defender. Uh, I, I'm going to turn into more of a center-like player for a little bit, block shots, protect the rim, score inside. Like, it, he, you can definitely see how he, he likes these new challenges, new experiences uh, on the court and off. Uh, he just signed this big extension with Brooklyn. We're years away, uh, probably, maybe, from this ever being a thing. Curious, curious, make a prediction now. Do you think he finishes his career with the Nets? I would not be surprised if he does, um, you know, because, you know, Kevin's going to be, what, 33 this year, um, uh, next month. And so I think he's already looking at, okay, what am I'm I going to do after I play basketball? Um, and, you know, his business partner, Rich Kleiman, is a New York guy, and Kevin embraces the New York culture. He loves Brooklyn. 
Um, and he loves the opportunities that may be able to come his way from being there. So, yeah, I think Kevin could conceivably finish his career in Brooklyn because I don't know where he'd go from here. You know, there may come a point in time when he goes, you know what, I want a different experience, you know, but by that time he'll be 36 years old maybe. And, and so we'll see, but, uh, and maybe he will at some point want to go home to DC, but I don't know. I don't know. That's the thing about Kevin is that he's not always predictable other than the fact that he he might do anything at any time because it's what he feels like he can do. He wants to do and he's in position to do that. So um, if I had to predict, though, yeah, I would guess and it's a guess that he would finish his career in Brooklyn because, you know, as long as Kyrie's there, DeAndre Jordan is one of his tightest friends, tightest buddies. and so you've got two friends. I don't know how long DeAndre's going to play because he's already start. You know, the, the client is already there with with DJ, and and I don't know if he's going to be around three, four years from now. But as long as Kevin and Kyrie are good, uh, I suspect he'll be there. And again, with Kyrie, you don't always know either. But if they're good, I think he'll be there. Steph Curry also signed a giant contract extension, two hundred fifteen uh, million over uh, four years, start when he's at age 34. Steph Curry, we were talking about before, awesome player, uh, awesome person to have within your organization. Uh, I thought last year uh, he deserved to be second for MVP. Obviously, still playing at a very high level and definitely deserved this contract extension for everything he's meant for this organization in terms of uh, helping the franchise make money, uh, being on that, uh, being underpaid on that rookie scale extension that allowed them to get Kevin Durant, allowed them to get Andre Iguodala, allowed them to build uh, this historically great team. He's come through in every way. Uh, no matter how this goes, I will not second guess one bit the Warriors giving him this extension. My curiosity, you know, he's going to be earning $48 million and gets up near $60 million over the life of this extension. Just in terms of what he provides uh, to the team, I'm talking on the court and off, uh, in ter- not in terms of how much money he generates with his popularity, but in terms of how he contributes to the team as a player and as a leader. Uh, do you think he'll be worth that money through the end of the extension? Again, it's totally fine, I think, for the Warriors if he's yeah. not. He's going to be older. But just as a curiosity, do you think he's going to provide that type of value, $48 million up to $60 million over the four years of this extension? Well, um, I think Steph's influence on the Warriors, on the NBA, on basketball at large is pretty priceless. Um, I, I think that the Warriors – and they know this, that they got a bargain deal when they signed Steph, that four-year contract he had for $44 million, uh, that, you know, he won MVPs under that contract. And so he was, for years, the most criminally underpaid player in the league. And now, you know, people say, well, God, is he got, he's going to be overpaid when he's a certain age. Maybe, but I look at Steph and I say, okay, would the Warriors have won these championships without him? No. Would they have built Chase Center, an arena in San Francisco without Steph? No. I mean, there was so much there that's behind that that he was able to enable the franchise to do. Uh, He basically helped the franchise remake itself because who the heck were the Warriors before Steph came along? They were that ragtag team that made the playoffs every now and then. It was a cute little story one year in 2007 when they were the eighth seed and they knocked off the number one seed. Oh, man. Uh, and, and people around the Warriors still celebrate that as well they should because that was huge for a franchise that really hadn't done a whole hell of a lot. But that one year, you know, they snuck into the playoffs literally the last game of the season and they upset the top seed in the Western Conference. That was gigantic for, for this franchise because 
know, one, it killed a 13-year streak of not making the playoffs. Uh, Steph has made the Warriors a destination. Uh, players literally liked the Bay Area but didn't want to play for the Warriors for years and years and years. And without Steph, that I don't know that that changes. It has changed. You know, it obviously it reached its, its, its peak when, when KD came. But I think when you look at the Warriors now and the way the Warriors look at themselves, the way they are looked at around the league now is that the Warriors are considered one of the league's marquee teams. Why? Steph. So I think whatever money he gets, uh, if he's overpaid when he's 38, he was underpaid when he was 28. And I, so, I mean, in the end, if the Warriors end up paying this guy, you know, a half billion dollars in salary, uh, I think it's a pretty good deal for them, given what they've gotten out of this guy. Well, you, you dodged my question, but I'm going to forgive it because you brought up a, a point. I mean, no, do I think it would be overpaid at, at 38? You know, I don't know. I mean, because I think right. – I always think that a player's decline should start not on the age, but the mileage. And LeBron James has given me two more years that I thought, I mean, again, these last two years have been kind of rough. He's missed some games, you know, little things are starting to happen. But I thought two, three years ago, that, okay, that LeBron's going to hit the wall. And now, yeah, he's more conservative with his, you know, way he, he plays. He plays really hard for minutes and he takes some time off. He, takes it easy, takes plays off. But LeBron has gotten more mileage, more out of himself than I thought given his mileage because this guy's played more miles than anybody in the league by far. And yet, you know, when he's out there, he's still a force to be reckoned with. And so with Steph, the mileage isn't as high because he's early in his career, he missed some games, missed some big chunks of seasons. So I don't know how good he'll be at 37, 38. But I think he will still be – shooters can play well into their late 30s. You know, Reggie Miller and those guys, they played well into their late 30s. I think Steph can do that. Now, will he be the all-around player, the MVP candidate? That I don't know. But I think Steph will be getting buckets at age 38. Okay. So now you've answered my question and made a good point uh, that I want to get to in a sec. Uh, I, I'm with you in that I don't know, which is such a tribute to Steph. That right even at these high of salaries that we're not sure whether he'll be overpaid on this deal. Let We both agree that he deserves it for what he's oh, already yeah. done. Yeah. Uh, he might be worth this too. I tend to think, no, I tend to think it's going to be hard for him to keep up because shooting. Yes, that carries, uh, but he's going to have to transform in a way where it'll drop his value. Some because so much of his, his shooting skill and effect is based on movement especially off ball movement and i'm not sure how much he can do that he's an underrated defender underrated rebounder some of those peripheral skills i think will slip to where he's not worth this he's probably still helping the team but also maybe worth that maybe worth all that money because maybe it'll carry over in a way there's never been a shooter like him he's the greatest shooter of all time and there is at least a chance that as much money as he's going to get paid and as old as he is uh, that he'll still be worth it uh, the really yep. good point you made that i want to get to was uh the idea that the Warriors used to not be a destination and became a destination. This is the perfect example of when people talk about, oh, the, there are some markets that just can't win. They're, they're the haves and have-nots in the NBA, and, and some teams just, there's nothing they can do, and there's some markets that are always great. No, it can change. Of course, the Lakers are always going to have a leg up. There are some markets that are always going to be in that situation. Uh, you could look on the flip side of Milwaukee, as great as everything is going, uh, you know, they just won a championship, everything's fantastic. 
eh, there's still Milwaukee, but there's so many markets in the middle, like Golden State. Golden State used to be an outpost. It was not a desirable market. And now people act like it's always been a huge desirable market. That wasn't the case. And nobody changed that more than Steph. He deserves all the credit for it. That's why he deserves uh, this contract. But it is interesting to see where this team is going as everyone ages. Uh, the player I have my eye on the closest is Draymond, still a fantastic defender, still one of the very smartest players in the NBA, uh, great passer, does so many great things, no question. I'd want him on my team. I'm concerned about how his offense has devolved. And this is just talking about a, as you know a super high level where the, if the goal is a championship, we're looking at the Warriors as a, as a championship contender, uh, where these things matter, his three-point shooting has fall, fallen off a cliff. Last year, he said it was uh, because he was hurt coming off the year. It, and, you know, uh, he could get healthy. Well, that didn't work. He hit 27% of his threes last season. Uh, when he was, you know, at his best, 2015, he was at 34%. 2016, he was at 39%. There's a big difference there when he's making threes like that. That's what really opens up the offense, makes it deadly, uh, instead of him just helping it become good with his passing. Uh, it's a whole nother level. That's when uh, nobody can stop the Warriors. He, he's aging. I think some of this is athleticism decline. You see it... Uh, with his finishing too is there any way to reverse this do you see is there any you know or are the Warriors just going to have to build in this era now kind of around a more limited offensively Draymond Green it's you know last year it kind of looked that way um I I I think that and I I told Draymond this I you know that that you know if he doesn't shoot then the defense can play the passing lanes which is what he likes to do they can just sag off of him and worry about who he's going to pass the ball to. And that makes it harder, which, you know, Draymond had some a lot of turnovers this last year. When I mean, those two play-in games, I believe he had a, like 12 turnovers in those two games. Teams were saying, ah, you know, we won't guard you. We'll just, like, make sure that you don't, you know, outpass us, you know, and, and find your way to outsmart us with your passing, which is what you would do when you play a Draymond Green. I think he has to shoot now. Uh, I think I, I do believe a lot of it is in his head. I do. I think that Draymond gets to a point where with a three pointer, he doesn't just let it fly, you know, and he starts thinking about it and he goes through stretches where, oh, Draymond hit three or four threes in this game. And then he'll miss one or two or three and it comes back. And his free throw shooting is kind of the same way at times. He can go, he can shoot 85% over three or four weeks. And then he can shoot 65% over the next three weeks, you know? So consistency is what you want. It's what you need. I personally think that if the Warriors will allow teams to defend them five on four, that they're not going to go very far in the postseason. Uh, that in that Draymond's, I won't say scoring ability, but as a scoring threat, at least he has to make defensive respect, his ability to score, whether he's driving to the, to the cup or shooting the three, or shooting the mid-range. He can make shots. He just has to do it four or five times a game. That's all. You don't need Draymond to score 20. You need him to score 12, 14, to be a threat. There may be nights when he scores 18 or 20, because there will be. But with Draymond, you can't have nights where he's scoring two and four and two and four and five and just not shooting at all. You know, And, and that's the part that the Warriors have to get past. And you're right. Um, you know, as good as Steph is, we don't know what to get, expect from Clay because we know Clay won't be ready for the beginning of the season. But, you know, and you don't know how good he's going to be when he is ready. So this next season will answer a lot of questions. 
but Draymond is really, really, really one of the bigger questions because they need him to be uh, good enough as a as a scoring threat to make defensive defensive teams respect that. And this last year, they didn't seem to do that. And again, having Clay makes a difference because last year, you know, Wiggins was a pretty good shooter, but he wasn't Clay. Who is? Uh, Ubre had some really bad games and some really good stretches, but he's not Clay. If Clay comes in and shoots 40%, 45% from three, which he can do, then again, I think that makes things easier for Steph and for Draymond. So the main thing Draymond has to do, I think, is to get in his head, okay, you know what? I'm going to shoot. And if it's ugly at times, it's ugly at times. I'll live with that. But I need to make teams respect the fact that I'm not just going to let them sag off of me. Yep, I agree. Uh, I do believe the Warriors are a championship contender. Are they going to win the title this year? Probably not. Uh, But I think they're in the mix. I think with the right breaks, they could win the title. Uh, And I think it's so hard to get to that point. It's very hard to build a breaks. Draymond's a part of that. If Draymond is – yeah, if he has – if he can't make defenses respect him, they don't win a championship because it makes it too easy for the defense to guard the rest of the guys. I think it'll be obviously way harder if he doesn't do that. I think there is a pathway there without Draymond uh, having a breakthrough from threes, but it is way harder. I think the bigger challenge is they have James Wiseman. They have Jonathan Kaminga. They have Moses Moody. To me, and I, and I, I didn't really like the James Wiseman pick. Uh, I thought that was too high for him, but I think uh, Kaminga was a great pick. I think Moody was a great pick the way Moody plays. Maybe he can contribute a little this year. Never bank on a, a rookie doing much, though. And I, I just think you've come to this far. You've built a team with a plausible chance to win a championship. Uh, you need to go all in. That it, that you just you have these young players. Uh, I, I don't know what's available in a trade, right? I, I can judge the trades teams make. I never know what the trades a team doesn't make. So I can't say this with absolute certainty. But I got to believe there's a deal out there or was a deal out there that would have helped the championship odds. And to me, I just think the Warriors are, are trying too much to have it all. They're trying to to be good now and later, and they're going to end up being not quite good enough now and probably not quite good enough later. And I just say that as far as later because it's so hard to get to this level, right? You yeah. can do a lot right, and you still don't get here. They're here. They're within plausible championship uh, capability. I, I think the odds of Weissman, Kaminga, Moody getting into the level of high-level contributor before uh, Steph, Draymond, and Clay age past their primes, I think it's low. I think there's a slight chance it all comes together, but it's too slight. I would try and go all in now. What do you think? I think that's the overarching debate around the Warriors. What do you think? Yeah, you know, you're right. It is that. That's what the the primary debate is. Um, I, I I'm I never want to give up on a big guy, a teenage big man when he's still a teenager, basically. Uh, and, and and Wiseman is that guy. You know, um, you know, he had 69 minutes of college experience, um, and he played less than half the schedule last year. Uh, so, I just. I'm not my, to me the jury's still way out. It's it's still well, way out because I, he has a skill. He has a skill that you can't teach. He can shoot, and some bigs don't even have that skill. A seven footer that can shoot and run the floor, I think, can give you something. It's not like a guy out there just running around throwing his body around uh, because he can. No, uh, I think James, his shooting ability will be. That's going to be the the number one thing that he has going for him right now. Um, but again, he runs the floor very well. His handles 
okay for a guy his size. Um, he's not going to be a guy on the block, but I think he can score on the block if he builds his body up a little bit because uh, his footwork is okay, can get better. Um, I just think that you don't know what James Wiseman is until two, three, four years from now. Um, and the Warriors, when they drafted him, I think they had to know that. Uh, I they, they seem to hint that they understood that he's a bit of a project. But uh, when you see a kid that comes into the league at his age with his, with his inexperience that has three games of college experience, no summer league, no training camp, I think to jump on that and say, ah, he's nah. I, I think that's unfair. I think it's premature. Um, I th- I just don't think we know. I don't think we know. So I think James Weissman could be very good in a few years. But what does that get the Warriors? Because I, I'm just not sure. You know, I think the odds of Steph, Draymond, and Clay still being good. Right. Yeah. So my case is that you need to find a team that's looking to be good in a few years, not now, that has a player that's good now and, and kind of exchange timelines. Because I that I I think James Weissman is a fine prospect. Uh, I wouldn't have taken him as high as the Warriors did, but I wouldn't have him that much lower. I think he's a fine prospect with a lot of upside, and but is very raw. Uh, I also thought his chemistry uh, with Draymond with Steph was awful last year, mm-hmm. and I don't know how much that can improve in a year. Maybe, but it is. But it's chemistry and just overall ability to contribute right now in any situation. I, he's not there, but I think the Warriors as a team might be ready for somebody to help them win. And so that, that's why I'd be looking for a trade. Maybe that trade isn't out there, but I kind of would imagine it is something. Well, yeah, it, it's, I mean, you know, there, there have been trade possibilities. Obviously, the Ben Simmons trade deal was not something the Warriors were going to go for. Right. Um, the Sixers, Daryl Morey was fishing, and, and, and the Warriors were like, you do, come on. See, talk to you later, dude. Bye. Uh, um, but... Yeah, the whole win now thing, you know, maximize Steph's prime, that concept um, took a hit uh, with the draft. I mean, you got prospects. You got now three guys that are basically rookies. And teams with three rookies playing meaningful minutes don't tend to win championships. It's pretty damn rare. I don't know if it's ever happened before. I mean, the 2015 Warriors um, – when they won the championship that year, they didn't have three rookies, but they had three guys that came with the same draft class that played important roles in Harrison Barnes, Draymond Green, and um, Festus Azili. Those three guys, but by that time, though, that was their third year. So um, they, yeah, they were a little bit more seasoned. And, and again, two of those three guys were four-year college guys, Festus and Draymond. So that's different. I think James, Moses, and Kaminga, those guys have played a combined, what, maybe 35 college games total? <laughs> you yeah. Know, yeah, for the three of them. So um, it, it's going to be tough. And so the win now, I think, took a major hit. Uh, as far as the trade being out there, and, and I wrote this, I, I thought that if there was a trade that they could have made that would have helped them to win now. My thing was, if you're going to trade Wiseman, as part of a package to get your win now mode going, I think the Pacers with Miles Turner would have been the you know would have been the, the target. Miles Turner to me is one of the top two or three rim protectors in the league. He can shoot. He's a big that can shoot the three. Uh, he can play pick and roll. Um, now, now, what do you you know what do the what's in it for the Pacers? You know, and, and Miles Turner's contract is relatively friendly. 
you know, he's not making 35 a year or 30 a year or even 25 a year. Um, so I thought if there was a way to make that trade, that would make sense to me in the win now mode. Um, that didn't materialize. Uh, now, with what they have now, you're right. It's 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 just like you think you think they're a championship contender. I have my questions about that. You know, maybe it'll change as I watch them play. But I just you know I just I don't know that that happens. Um, Moody and, and Kaminga, uh, based on summer league, you know they have some things they can offer. I don't know again how much can either one can do once the real games begin. I think Kaminga uh, can play some NBA minutes at age 18. I think he'll be 19 before the season starts. Um, Moody, I think, you know, you would think he'd be a little bit ahead because he had the college, but he can shoot. He can shoot it. And so I think that's that's a part of the game that generally you can bring in, you can come into the league, and if you can shoot, you can play pretty quickly. I think they can both have something to offer. But, but being able to come in and play meaningful minutes as rookies and on a team that's going to win a championship, uh, I, I I don't see it happening. And I just think that yeah, if, if they were gonna if they were gonna do the win now, maximize Steph's career, his window thing, that they would have made a trade in the offseason. And that didn't happen. And there's no indication at so far that there's one in the pipeline going into over these next couple of months before the season starts. Yeah. Um- Miles Turner would have, would have been a nice fit. Um, I think it'd be a little like he's a little disappointing in as far as a return for Weissman. I think that would have been a home run for the Pacers to get somebody with Weissman's upside. Uh, and Turner would have been a little disappointing return. But what does it matter, right? If he's what puts you over the top for a championship, I'm not saying he necessarily would, but the possibility is there. And if it turned out that way, uh, then of course you would make that trade if you knew that's what you were getting. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's the type of deal that would make sense. It might be disappointing from a value standpoint for the Warriors, but where they are, I think that that's the right move. Uh, yeah, the last if, you thing want, I want to, if you want to win now, you want a player that can, you can plug in and say, okay, you can get us 20 and 10 and block three or four shots a night. <laughs> you know, right. and, he can block, and he's one of those guys that he's one of the best shot blockers because he's able to block shots without getting into foul trouble very often. He doesn't, he's not one of those guys that hacks people and, you know, oh, he goes after every shot. So therefore he's always in foul trouble. No, his foul to block ratio is really, is really good. And I think that's an important factor that gets overlooked sometimes. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, I liked Otto Porter signing for the minimum. I like Nemanja Bialica for the minimum. The Warriors didn't use their mid-level exception. Uh, and this this is an ownership that has talked very big uh, and has spent very big. Uh, and and obviously where they are with, with the luxury tax, it would have been very costly to use the mid-level exception. But this is, a, this is an ownership that's talked very big. What did you make a, a, of the Warriors not using the mid-level exception? Maybe it was just that the the right player didn't become available. Maybe there was an intent to use it on certain players or, or what, what, what did you make of that? Well, there, there was an attempt to use it on, on a couple of different players, but it did not happen. Um, and I think um, the commitment to use it took a hit last year when they signed Kelly Oubre, when they brought him over, uh, when they traded for him, uh, because they knew, you know, what Kelly came over, there was his salary, and then there was the luxury tax payment. And so Kelly cost them like $70 million. But they felt because this was, they traded for Kelly within 24 to 48 hours after Clay Thompson's injury, Kelly's injury. I mean, they felt they had to do something so they, to avoid a repeat of the previous year when they won 15 games. 
And they thought, you know what? No, we if we want to be decent this year, we need to do something. We we you know Clay won't be going to miss another year, so let's go after Kelly Oubre. He's a good two way player. Um, he can guard point guards. He can guard shooting guards. He can guard wings. Um, he's athletic, more athletic than Clay. He's not going to shoot like Clay, but he's a nice piece to have. And at the time, everybody seemed to understand why they did that. They overpaid because they wanted to be a factor. Joe Lake was not one of those guys who says, ah, it's okay to have two, two terrible seasons. Um, so they did that, and that was mostly an ownership decision because it was their money. You know, they spent it. I think there was within the franchise, within the coaching staff and the personnel department, I think there were some, you know, some misgivings about it. But I think you look at it now and they, if you're Lakeup, do you want to go spend that much money again? Because again, if they sign a a guy to the mid-level, that's a $25 million guy. (laughs) You know, he's not, yeah, the mid-level might be 5.9, but the additional money that they got to pay out for tax is going to run it into the mid-20s. And after going so so hard on Ubre last year, I think Lake it might be a, I don't I don't want to say gun shy, but I think he has to be convinced that this is the guy we have to have. And I think they would have spent that on say you know Nick Batum. I think they would have done that. Uh, you know I heard Patty Mills' name come up. They probably would have done that with Patty Mills. He got a two year deal for a little bit more than that in in Brooklyn. So. Um, when you're able to get Otto Porter and Bielitsa, who, who I think both those guys can, tri- can, can contribute, I think if Porter stays healthy, he can be a really good uh, – he's a good player if he can stay healthy. But the guy's missed over 100 games the last couple of years, so I think there are some questions there. Um, he says he feels fine. Uh, if he does, that's a huge win for the Warriors because he is not a league minimum player. He is, you know, a, a really good player. So – uh, I don't know what they're going to get from Andre. I do know that he can play quality minutes. I don't know how many minutes. Um, so there's a lot the Warriors have to fig- figure out, and that's what training camp is going to be huge for them because they got the kids, they got new vets coming in, and they got the holdovers, and they're waiting for Clay. And I think Clay is the X factor because um, without him playing well, uh, not just playing, but playing well, being effective at both ends, um, their postseason aspirations are limited. I mean, if, if Clay is come, comes back at, say, January, and by March he looks, you know, 85 90% of himself, I think they can scare some people in the postseason. Less than that, I, I just don't think they'll get past a round or two. Well, I, I think the Warriors are one of the most fascinating teams right now, which is why I was so glad to have you on. I appreciate getting this insight. I'm, I'm excited to see where the veterans are at. I'm excited to see how the young players develop. Uh, I'm excited to see what drama comes about uh, from Draymond Green uh, being Draymond Green. And uh, I'll definitely be following uh, your work at uh, NBC Sports Bay Area to keep up with all of it. I encourage everybody else to do the same. Monty, thanks for coming on. All right, Dan. Thanks for having me, man. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food service.
With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.